Not going to say okay. Just going to say, welcome everybody to Theology Thursday. Is that the face of you expecting me to say, okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm a couple weeks late noticing this, but I'm realizing now, I've been looking at you in real life for a while, but looking at you on the screen, I can see you trimmed a whole bunch of your beard off. Uh, Am I like several weeks late uh, noticing that? It's, it's all right, man. <laughs> we don't have the kind of friendship where I got, I, that's going to save you, I don't think. Shave my beard. I got new clothes. I was trying to impress you for Theology Thursday, mm. which is not nothing. My bad, nothing. man. No, my um, my daughter said my beard pokes the new baby. Oh, is so she right? I, uh, I think it's it's sad. I, <laughs> she's she does. I'm she um. She doesn't like the kisses at all. She does. No, my baby she, doesn't either. I have she's a, just like get away from me. My three year old when I go to give her a kiss goes, move your beard. And it yeah. means I don't have, I don't actually do anything, but I kind of give a little like pretend like yeah. I'm moving my yeah. beard, but the baby does. Now that you mentioned it, turn her face they, away they from me. They're not having it, man. It's messed up. Well, Oh, look at, we got Ruth Scott, Matt and Brandy Morrow, Kim, Alice, Luis, Ed, and Dina and Eric. Welcome everybody. Great to see you guys all here. Hopefully you guys enjoyed Dan Kimball last week. We could have talked to him for a lot longer. That's a dude who like... We could have. You just could keep going and going. He's so such a cool dude. If you did not watch that, highly recommend it. Um, and yeah, as we've been saying... In fact, hold on. You got it? Yeah. A professional, a professional would already have had this, but I just grabbed it out of my backpack. This is the book that this whole um, series is based on. And uh, you know we've talked about it a lot, so I won't spend too much time... Uh, buttering Dan's bread again, but man, how not to read the Bible by Dan Kimball, hugely, hugely important book right now. Could not recommend it more highly, whether you're a Christian or a skeptic who's interested in Christianity. If you want to know um, answers to some of the hardest questions in the Bible, this is the book and it's the basis of the series. So we're going to be kind of roughly walking through the different sections of the book one week at a time. Mm -hmm. um, and, and basically the interesting thing about this series is we're one at a time going to address what are probably the biggest like sticking points, conflicts, yeah. difficulties with the Bible. Yeah. One of, one of the things that, that made Dan write this is he realized, and I mean, I remember having these conversations years ago now was that what traditional apologetics were responding to were not the questions and wrestlings of what people were having today. So mm. back in the day, apologetics would be like, what's the, historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. How could a good God exist in the midst of evil? Can the New Testament documents be trusted? Weren't, weren't the manuscripts changed over the passing down from generation? And those are all important and good questions to still have answers for, but on the ground, sort of in mainstream culture, the issue wasn't necessarily, well, what are, what's the historical evidence for the resurrection? It was, right. I've looked at verses in the Bible, and the Bible is whack. And more so than that, the God that is presented in that Bible is a God that I don't want to worship. Yeah. Um, Forget so, about proving that the Bible's true. If it's true, I don't like this God. Yeah, it was it was less of an epistemological questioning and more of an ethical questioning. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't, is it true or not? It was, I don't like that. It looks bad and it's evil. And so Dan kind of tackled all these, these I mean, the, the subtitle is, making sense of the anti-woman, anti-science, pro-violence, pro-slavery, and other crazy sounding parts of the Bible. So those are all those kind of hot topic issues. Yeah, and we're going to walk through all of them. And, and Dan, tonight is kind of the night where we're establishing um, 
some general framework stuff that's going to help us walk through the rest of the thing and we're going to the rest of the series and we're going to look at um some of the kind of memes and like knee-jerk complaints that people have about the bible mm-hmm. um in in a broad way we'll be doing that as we go through as dan does um but before we do the the way that dan opens the series which is so so interesting to me um and and it's part of what makes him so brilliant is he starts with all of these quotes and stories from people who have left the faith or atheists who are opposed to the Bible. Mm-hmm. And he basically, he starts with that Penn Jillette quote that says the fast track to atheism is reading the Bible. In fact, Kevin, I think we have a famous quote on a meme here. If you want to pull that up. Um, let's see. Yeah. It says the road to atheism is littered with Bibles that have been read cover to cover. That's an Andrew Seidel quote. And that he's a, um, an atheist lawyer who is kind of like a champion of separation of church and state mm-hmm. in a kind of anti-church way. And so, yeah, the complaint, like you just said, is that the Bible is it's outdated, it's racist, sexist, mm-hmm. you name it, pro-slavery, all of these things. Um, and so the problem then is that people are reading the Bible for themselves, whether they grew up Christian or not, mm-hmm. and finding problems like problems with it that cause them to either leave the faith or reject it before they've even tried yeah. it. Um, and that's something that you ha- have wrestled with in your time as a pastor and before that in your time as a youth pastor, right? Like seeing people go to college. It's kind of the stereotype that happens to be true. Yeah. And we've talked about it before. It's just, um, you don't get exposed to the entirety of the Bible, Genesis to revelation. You just kind of get taught the, the nice sections where there's not big problems. And then you're just reading that stuff. And then you go somewhere and they go, don't you know, this was in your Bible. And you go, no, that's not in the Bible. And they open up and show you. And it's like, yeah, Oh my gosh, it is in the Bible. Uh, I was lied to my whole life. And, and then of course there's all kinds of other factors at play. Maybe, maybe simultaneously, coincidentally, you're off at college and you're getting told that information all the while you don't want to kind of submit to some of the ethical demands of scripture. So look, now you have an intellectual way out. So you don't have to have this cognitive dissonance type of thing going on anymore. Yeah, that's great. And and that's, I think that's a hundred percent true that there's, there's a version of what the, of what they say that's actually true. Like that whole idea that no, if you, all you have to do is read the Bible, throw up the next one, Kevin, I actually just remembered we have one that's sort of along these lines too. This is something you see. There's a lot of versions of this next meme. It says, if you're going to post Bible verses on Facebook, don't be upset when atheists post the ones you've never read. And that's kind of a gut punch because there's truth to that. It's kind of like, um, you know, when opponents of Christianity say, if you really knew what was in your Bible, you wouldn't like it so much. And for a lot of people, that's true. That would be true for a lot of people. Yeah. So um, one of the things that we're all about here, and we've said it before, but it's important to say at the beginning of the series is we, we don't pretend like the Bible's not weird, especially not weird to modern Western people. Yeah. So, and it's diff, it's, di- it's difficult and it should be difficult. I mean, and we're going to get in a little bit of it today, but there's multiple author over generations and generations. It's written in diff- a different, la- two different, two different, technically three, three different languages, um, but primarily Greek and Hebrew. Um, you should expect that to be one of the, the disservices it, and it's a service and a disservice is when you become a Christian and you're told, Hey, just make sure you're reading your Bible every day. Yeah. You should be doing that. Like, I'm not saying not to For do it. Sure. That is a good thing, but what it does is people end up and people in the chat, you might, you might know exactly what I'm talking about. Is there, you did that faithfully and there was whole days or weeks where like, this, none of this is even making sense yeah. or what in the world am I reading? And it's not as just as simple as, just read it and it all fits together. Yeah. Um, that's why God gifted t- 
the church with teachers and and leaders who help you um, in your study, in your reading. There's all kinds of great resources. In addition, there's something called the illumination of the Spirit. The Spirit is supposed to be with you while you're reading it so that there's a guiding of your reading. So it's not just, well, let me read this for two minutes and I'll move on and expect to get it. Like there's obviously passages that are simple. You can get it, but there's stuff. And I've spent, spent my life now. It's like, I, I, I don't need, I'm beginning, barely beginning to understand this portion. Of yeah. Scripture. There's still stuff that I'm like, I've got dudes who I read the Bible with, you know, who I have like Bible studies yeah. with, who will ask me a question. I'm like, yeah, I have no idea. That's yeah, that you one think still you got the book me. of Ezekiel on <laughs> lockdown, man. You're totally. deceived. Or parts of even foundational stuff like the book of Romans, the book of Hebrews. There's stuff where you're like, I can tell you three options, but I don't know which one it is. And so at the end of the day, I think it's the thing we want to affirm is, yes, the Bible is weird and has crazy sounding stuff, but we also really affirm that it is understandable. There are good explanations for the weird parts and it can be read and understood intelligently and reasonably. Yeah. It's not, you're not going to find from us just a like, yeah, there's weird stuff, but just have faith and it's okay. And you can ask God when you get to heaven. And, um, and the truth is the majority of criticisms of the Bible that you find in memes, like the ones we're going to look at a little later tonight are not actually good arguments against the Bible or against Christianity. All they are, they, they, they come from a place of literary misunderstanding, mm-hmm. not from a place. It's not an intellectual high horse. It's the opposite. It's you didn't learn how to yeah. read this book. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's, it's not clever arguments most of the time. And we'll see that. So anyway, the, the point of this book and this series is man, um, the necessary response to everything we just described is to learn how to read the Bible. Well, you mm-hmm. need to be able to read the, as a Christian to be able to read the Bible better than the opponents of the Bible. Um, and so you just, you've got yeah. no understand how it works. And so tonight we're, we're doing like a really basic, you know, here's two or three things to help guide the rest of our conversations. We're not doing like in-depth yeah. hermeneutics lessons, although there is a five or six part hermeneutics series from the early days of Theology Thursday. If you go back into the back catalog, I did. Um, Those yeah. are the, that's the prequel trilogy. Yeah. That's the prequel to this. Yeah. Back then it was one camera one in my camera, spare bedroom. One guy, one computer. Barely making it. So yeah, you could go back if you want to like dive way deeper into a bunch of the stuff we're going to talk tonight. Um, but we want to move quick because uh, we'd rather, I actually think it's, it, you know, when you like learn a complicated board game or card game and it's like, I could explain the rules, but let's just start playing and you'll exactly. see. That's, that's how good, this, that's a good, that's a good analogy. Hey, man. thanks man. That'll preach. That's good. So the yeah, first for, time <laughs> for, for this one, <laughs> you know, it's the most Isaac thing ever to like, afford me a genuine compliment, but follow it up with a nice little yeah. take down. No, so yeah, that's what we're going to do. We're going to play the game more than we talk about the rules. Yeah, that's good. And again, some of it will be review, but some of it won't be for some of you. And it's good to review this stuff because the basics actually inform the universe that the Bible lives in. What I mean by that is this. Um, if you ever watch Star Wars with someone who's never watched Star Wars, like they don't see how the dots connect. And so yeah. they're asking you question after question. Who's this guy? Like, like, just watch the movie. It's going to tell you later yeah. on. And then you watch the movie. And then guess what? If you watch one of the other movies and one of the other movies, all of a sudden you'll see how so much of this is more connected than you originally thought. And if you hear the little Luke Skywalker jingle here, you know, oh, somebody who's on the light side of the force is about to appear. Yeah. Type of thing. And so the Bible is similar where, it exists in a narratival universe. 
And the more you read it, the more you understand that narratival universe. And I'll tell you this, you will never get to the bottom the like of the well of that na- narratival universe. Like you'll see new connections and new insights for the rest of your life. Totally. But I mean, the biggest takeaway from what you just said is that reading the Bible is not a thing you do and then you finish and you're done. It's, yes. This is a lifelong habit of the believer. Yeah. So if you're a follower of Jesus, reading the Bible is something you do forever. Mm-hmm. And every year, every month, every whatever, you're uncovering new stuff. And that's true. I mean, that's mm-hmm. a, like a trite sounding thing that you know a pastor's going to tell you, but it's 100% true. You'll be like, I'll be reading the Bible and I'll read a book I've read a million times and be like, oh my gosh, I just saw a connection to the Old Testament mm-hmm. that I've never seen before. Or you, st- you know, usually what it is like, am I imagining this? I got to start like double and triple yeah. checking myself. Um, so yeah, a, a couple of kind of basic, oh, here, here's some interesting comments. Melissa Seamer says that um, talking to her students, she's a physics teacher, I believe. Um, and she said she uses my phrase, there are a lot of people smarter than me who believe either interpretation of this. And that is a thing I like to say a lot. So if I, yep. if I present multiple views, I'll say, this is what I think, but scholars who are way smarter than me disagree. So there's kind of a nice intellectual humility to that. And Suzanne Lopez, just <laughs> looking for emotional support, probably says, I just finished the book of Leviticus. Good job. Um, hopefully you found... <laughs> what is that supposed to mean with reference all, to... All I know is that my kids heard that once, that womp, 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 womp. and I come home from, from work one day, and <laughs> and they... They walk and they're going, womp, womp, womp. <laughs> they're going, what are you doing this again and again for? And they go, Kevin taught us. It's such a they good... Li- they, they actually said, Kevin taught us. I'm like... You teach you, theology? You don't even see Kevin. I teach funny sounds. It's like yeah. COVID. You, no one's seen anybody. That's it, true. Unless Kevin did that in a sermon and, and it was from Theology hey, Thursday. Hey, Kevin, so, show the people your face and say hello let, to... Let me, yeah, look at this face. Even during COVID when no one's seen anybody, he's still a bad influence. Like, <laughs> he still finds a way to... Oh, Eli Riddle. Hey, man. This is the first time I think I've seen you in the chat. Welcome. Eli Riddle. Um, I'll, I'll do a plug for him. I don't know if his YouTube has his stuff, but he is a very, very talented rapper. Um, he got bars. He's got bars, um, as they say. And people don't know this about me, but I'm a huge fan of underground rap. He is. Before I, the show, he was talking about how he wanted to <laughs> submit for a seminary project. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> rap lyrics, a rap kind of lyrical interpretation of the screw tape. Do letters. you remember what it was going to be called? The screw tape mixtape. The screw tape mixtape. I actually, <laughs> the only reason <laughs> that is what we were talking about. The only reason I wanted to do the screw tape mixtape is because I thought of that name and I thought it was so awesome. I love underground rap and hip hop. And I was like, I had an artistic project I had to do in seminary around CS Lewis. And I was like, dude, if you called something, the screw tape mixtape, that's like the coolest thing ever. But then I was like, but then I have to actually write rap lyrics about the screw tape letters which you would have loved so don't act like yeah, that you're was right. the reason that you're stopped right. you all right so let's let's jump in all right what womp 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 womp, womp. that's that would be the sound that would play in my uh, professor's head as he listened to my rap songs yeah. about <laughs> screw tape letters so okay what is the bible this is the first question because dan tackles this in the beginning of the book and it's really important we have some misconceptions about what the bible is and how it works Um, and probably the biggest one right off the bat is that the bible is not a book and that Mm -hmm. sounds silly but it but it's true bible is not a book Mm -hmm. right it's a library of books Mm -hmm. so you've got different books 66 different books written by different authors at different times i mean dan says in the book um 
he kind of puts it all together, which is really good that it's written over the course of about 1500 years in three different languages from dozens of authors from different cultures. And interestingly, from different statuses, you have like kings who are authors, you have peasants who are authors, the poorest, the richest, everything in between. Um, And that goes for the authors and the heroes. I mean, you have heroes who are men and women and rich and poor and Jew and Gentile, everything. Incredibly diverse book. Um, And man, the, just the fact that there are different books with different genres is one of the biggest causes of misunderstanding yeah. in biblical interpretation, don't you think? I mean, we know in the modern world how to differentiate genre, right? For the most part, people make it, and it can be difficult sometimes, People, but people make it more difficult than what it really is. Most of the time, our brains are able to detect what type of language is being used pretty quickly. So um, it's weird. I forget. It's like in some unpublished essay of C.S. Lewis that was found after his death or something like that. But he talks about, he gives an example of someone commenting on the weather. And he goes, statement number one is, it is 32 degrees outside. Then the second statement is, man, it's going to be cold outside. The third statement is, honey, remember to bring your jacket. Yeah. The, the four, and then the fourth one was, um, the cold surrounded us like a blanket of blah, 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 blah. And in it, you had scientific language, common language, and then poetic language, some other type of language. So pretty quickly, you can identify what type of language we're talking about. And oftentimes, a big chunk of the misunderstanding of the Bible is just people, especially in the meme world, purposely misrepresenting the genre to make a gotcha point out of it. Yeah, and I mean, if you... Think about just in the modern world, the ones we're really intuitive about, like you don't read a text message the same way you read a book and you don't read a novel the same way you read a newspaper. And even like within the world of novels, you don't read a science fiction novel the same way you read a historical fiction novel. Um, And that's just talking about books. I mean, most people in the modern world think more in terms of movies and TV shows and stuff. Mm. Um, And we've talked about this before, so we don't have to belabor it. But I mean, if you know you're watching a horror movie, you could see the exact same situation play out that if it was a romantic comedy, you would interpret it differently. Um, And so we, you know, just understanding that you have to take the step of knowing the book of the Bible that this is in. What is it? Am I reading like a song that was sung in temple and synagogue gatherings Mm -hmm. by ancient Jewish people? Or am I reading like a letter written in the first century to a Greek person? To the the saints in Galatia. So again, tons of details on that um, in the older series from the early days of Theology Thursday if you're interested. And then uh, one thing that's really, really helpful in the book um, is on page 44, there's a timeline where Dan really breaks down like where the different books of the Bible fit, generally speaking, in the timeline of history. Yeah, And that's one of the most important things. And we'll see some examples today of how people misunderstand that. So understanding that it's a library, super diverse, um, tons of different genres is huge. The second principle I wanted to hit that that Dan spends a lot, and in fact, I think he titles the entire first section this, um, never read a Bible verse. It's a famous Greg Kokel yeah. quote. And his whole quote is never read a Bible verse, always read a paragraph at least. Mm-hmm. So why, do you, why is that important? Well, I'll say this is part of that statement was birthed in a culture where we weren't necessarily studying the Bible. So it was a kind of a, an extreme thing to say, like never read a Bible verse, only study it. And it was because no one was studying their Bible. They're just 
taking little slogans and catchphrases and, and using them how they see fit in their own personal experience. So it's like, we, we can't do this anymore. We have to study the Bible. I do think there is a place where it's just read the scripture, read as totally. long as you can. Don't, don't stop and think about it. Just re- get the story. Yeah. In. And then there's time to reflect on a single verse. I'm not talking about in a study sense. I'm talking about like in a, in a reflective kind of devotional way. It's like Christ died for me. Yeah. Um, but all of that to say, the point of this statement is don't just read a single verse out of context, study its context, at least it's literary context, yeah, read the a, paragraph, the, immediate section, the paragraph right? before and after, um, you might want to know it's the context that's found in where is that in the Bible? So what genre is it? Is this in the Psalms? Is this an epistle? Is this a gospel? So it's a way to say the Bible just you don't, you can't just, you know, some of you might remember in chat, like, okay, Lord, what would you want me to read today? Lord, oh, yeah. I, and it's just like, <laughs> boom. And you just start reading. It's like, that's what, and it's like no context, no study or anything. And then what happens is you just take whatever you read and immediately apply it, apply it to you. That's life. so funny. You just reminded me of something I haven't thought about in years that when I had a Bible, when I was like, like a little kid mm-hmm. and I was just starting to kind of read the Bible and like, I had that sort of expectation of like, God's going to show me something. And I was like, every time I set the Bible down, it opened to the same page. And I was Dang. like, there must be something here, dude. In retrospect, it's just like where the spine of the book of the book was like, it just maybe. naturally, maybe, well, here's the thing though. It was, uh, it opened to like Esther chapter two or something. And I'm like, it was like very weird. Yeah. Kind of like, well, the biblical interpretation joke is someone wants to know the will of God for their life and they go, Oh, and it's, and then Judas went, and hung himself. Right. And it's like yeah. this super scary, totally. like what the heck? And then you open it up another page and it says, you be wise and go do likewise type of thing. Yeah. And the, 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 <laughs> sad, the sad kind of thing of it all is that people are reading their Bibles that way. Yeah. Um, and God, God can do anything. He may show you something through that. I and mean, some of you might be in the chat and go, no, there's really a formative moment where I did that. God does miraculous things totally. in all sorts of different ways, but you don't want to make your normative practice of scripture reading just randomly opening up and reading a couple yeah. verses and calling and, it a day. And most verses, are, you are not going to understand them correctly in isolation. I mean, there are some verses that just by the virtue of the genre that they're a part of, you are actually like the Proverbs. Some of them, it's one line and that's the whole thought. Yeah. Um, but that is the exception, not the rule. Most of the mm-hmm. time, you got to, the word I always use or the phrase I always use is zoom out, especially if you have a question. It's just like, if you read something and you're not sure yeah. what it means, zoom out, step back. Um, so, you know, if you, it's always, you understand a verse in the context of a chapter or an argument, I actually think is better than thinking chapters because the chapter breaks don't always follow arguments, yeah. but, um, and then how that book, how that fits in the book, how the book fits in the Bible and out and out and out. So um, that's huge, hugely important to, to, put things in context. That's a phrase that gets overused, but it's because it's true. It's no one does it totally. And we'll see that tonight for sure. So that's another one. By the way, um, the same hermeneutics applied to the Bible will also do the world a great service right now. Just in general. That's true. Because every (laughs) single person is just taking things out of context to make their enemy look bad right now. Yeah. It's like most of the stuff you'll see a headline and you're like, Oh my gosh. And if that's all you read, it's like, that's horrible. And that they said that. And then you actually read what someone said in context. You're like, man. Yeah. It's just whatever will make you click. They even do that with pictures where a picture will be put up to kind of 
create the impression that something's happening and then yeah. you watch the video that it's from and you're like, oh, that's not even what happened. Yep. Um, and so the Bible, that's a great example. The Bible is like that where it's like, there, no question, there are difficult to reconcile with stuff Times. in the Bible. We're going to talk about it in this series. But most of the stuff that people think is whack in the Bible is just what you just talked about. It's like, no, that's not even what that means. Um, so finally, the last one we'll talk about, and then we'll get to some examples. Um, it's another thing. It's a quote from John Walton, who's a, a Bible scholar that we both love. And um, Dan quotes him. His, his line is, the Bible was, not, was written for us, but not to us. Mm-hmm. Can you unpack briefly kind of what that means? Yeah. I mean, essentially, I mean, the best example of this is the epistle. So Paul is writing to the saints in Rome, grace and peace, you know, yeah. to you. He, the, the, the intention of that letter was not first and foremost, man, how can I encourage Sam today? Right. It was a letter to the, to the Christians in Rome. Now in studying and reading Paul's words to those Romans, you're going to be inspired and encouraged and convicted because there's so much overlap between their experience and your experience. And so in that sense, it is for me, but Mm -hmm. it wasn't written to me. And that extra layer of remembering the original audience, original author, original intention is really helpful in a lot of this stuff. Because there's this thing we talked about a little bit last week called cultural distance, which is the kind of Mm -hmm. distance between you and the original recipients and readers in terms of language, um, where they live, what their culture's like, and stuff like that. I remember hearing, um, I think it was actually Dan who originally gave this example too, that when you read the Bible, you're like a tourist eavesdropping on locals. Mm-hmm. So you're, you know, you're the guy trying to get direction somewhere, and, but people are using local. Like if you were to ask yeah. me, because I know you live here, if you said, hey, where's the Dollar Tree at again? Mm-hmm. I'd be like, oh, it's right by Little Caesars. But if... By Mr. Hong's where you could stop off and get some good garlic, garlic fish. fish. It'd be like, why are you going to the Dollar Tree without getting a pint of garlic fish? So I, all I have to tell you is it's right by Mr. Hong's. Yeah. You're like, oh yeah. But if somebody who's from out of town said, do you have a dollar store yeah. here? I would have to say, oh, it's on First Street between this Well, yeah, a perfect street. example of that would be like somewhere in the Old Testament where it says, um, and God detested that they gathered in the high places with their images. Right. And everyone in the ancient world knows exactly what they mean by images and high places. Yeah. Images are statues or idols and they most often are worshiped at high places because the high place is a media, a sacred space. And so they go, Oh, these people are practicing idolatry on a high, a high place where you're like the modern places, like images in a high place. I mean, it looks like, going on these people yeah, who, what are they getting who, high looking at an ipad type yeah of thing? like, like <laughs> yeah that's a, that's a great example so you you have to do the work of going always remember if something strikes you as weird there's a really good chance it didn't strike the original audience as weird and so you have to do the work of closing yeah. that gap um laurie laurie said another in other words the first priority was to the primary audience and we are secondary um and I would say yes, in terms of the intention of the original author, obviously there's the overarching intention of God in the Bible, yeah. which is to present timeless truth. But even then it's, it's this timeless truth, eternally relevant truth, but it's still presented in a historically particular time. Yeah. So, it's, it's embodied in the culture that it, that it happened in. So it would, it would be embodied differently. Um, like we wouldn't talk about, if I was talking about idolatry, I might not talk about high places and images. I might talk about um, Wall Street or Silicon Valley and technology where man thinks through technology he could ascend 
to be like a God type, yeah. type of thing. So it'd be different languages, but the issue is still false worship of false gods and idolatry. Yeah. That's that. So just know the, the kind of key here. And again, we're going to start now to kind of play the game and, and rather than just talk about the rules, but just know there is a giant gap. I mean, dude, you can't read. I just read, uh, I talked about this with Dan too, I think, but I just read, you know, crime and punishment and that's only 150 years old and from an, from a different Western country. And there's still so much stuff I don't understand in there. Um, and Relying on a translation. Yeah. It's a translation of a different language. There's cultural things happening. I'm not related to, and you go farther back and try to read Canterbury tales. It's way well, more complicated. Honestly, you just go back to, I try to understand Kevin's lingo and some of his That's cultural true. references sometimes. That's and he, true. He, like he, he's like talking about Dave Matthews band <laughs> and I'm going like, who, who, what are we talking about? Yeah. The cultural distance involved is very difficult. I, Kevin's a good enough friend that it's worth the cross-cultural work to yeah, communicate yeah. with him. No, I just look it up every time he said, I, I Wikipedia. Oh, Dave Matthews band. Okay. Yeah. You, it requires that level of translation, but yeah, it's, it's super, super important that it really helps to kind of as you're reading and especially as you're studying, keep that layer of distance in mind that I'm reading ancient words from a different language, from a culture on the other side of the planet. Um, and that, that really helps. So what you want to walk through yeah, a couple of get, these let's memes? To, let's get to this. So we got memes that kind of, they're from all over the board as far as some of them are, are Christian memes that are misunderstanding the Bible. A lot of them are um, people who are in opposition to Christianity, trying to make the Bible look dumb. Um, we'll start, and we're going to talk about why most of these reveal a misunderstanding about the Bible rather than an actual like gotcha. Um, okay. This first one is one of my favorite examples of taking a verse out of its context. This is a quote from Jesus in Luke 19. It says, but as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, Bring them here and kill them. You might immediately go, wait a second. Jesus said that? Mm -hmm. And the person who made this meme goes, yes, Jesus said that. It's Jesus in Luke actually chapter 19. said that. Jesus did say that. So you're like, wait, he's the... And if you Google this verse, dude, I was shocked. There are so many memes like this that go, it's like Prince of Peace, huh? And then that quote from Jesus, yeah. it's like, you know, as for these enemies, they don't want me to be in charge. Bring them here and kill them in front of me. Yeah. Um, and so the... The wrong mistake is to go like, oh no, like Jesus is actually looking really violent and you feel defensive. Or, yeah, yeah finally true. Jesus that's gets true. it right. This is the Jesus I've been looking for yeah. the whole time. Um, what would Jesus do now, man? What would Jesus do? Bring him here and Bring slaughter him, him before me. And so here's, this is one of the best examples of how the first step you always do is just go read it. Go read it. Be like, wow, I didn't know Jesus said that. Let me see, let me read the context. And I mean, literally in this case, it's the paragraph that it's in. Cause yes, Jesus says these words, but here's the super short, we could pull it up and look at it, but we'll just give the super short version. Jesus says this as part of a parable and he, and it's a character in the parable speaking. So it would be like me saying there once was a violent King and that violent King said, mm -hmm. bring my enemies here and slaughter them before me. Did I say that? Yes, those words came out of my mouth, but I'm not speaking on my own behalf. Yeah. Jesus is telling a story to make a point, and in the story, there's a king who says that. Yeah. Um, and so it's just so transparently an example of, of literary ignorance. Again, not... Yeah, and you always have to wonder, is did the person who make this, 
like just they misunderstood it because they didn't do the work to to actually read it they just said oh my gosh let me make this meme jesus said this or are they being purposefully like purposely deceitful and it's probably a mix depending upon it but some of them are so bad it's like dude you have to know you got to know that that's not what it sounds like and i think a lot of it is is how we do sort of to your point earlier it's how we do a lot of our information sharing now it's like you heard someone say that and so now you put it in your back pocket as this is a gotcha verse for annoying Christians. Yes. That Jesus said, slaughter my enemies before me. And you never do the work of going and checking. Mm-hmm. And, you know, check yourself on that because this is what everyone does today. Not with the Bible necessarily, yeah. but with everything else. I heard that so-and-so said, blah, blah, and blah. Christian, Christians with cheap apologetics have this too. They have a gotcha, like, let me prove God exists to you. And it's like, for the person on the other end who maybe doesn't believe in God that hasn't studied up, they just go, oh my gosh, that's such a powerful argument when the argument has already been debunked five right. times over type of thing. Yeah, and any it's a good lesson in general that anytime you think, this is sort of a different spin on what Melissa Seymour said earlier, that anytime you think you've got the ultimate gotcha, you have to remember, brilliant people don't think what you think. Yeah. So um, it's nothing is ever as obvious or easy as you think it is. This next one's another example that's kind of similar. Um, this is from, there's, I didn't pull an actual meme, I just put the verse in here. This is from um, Revelation 7.3. And this was really popular for a while with environmental groups. They would use this as part of their campaigns. It's from the Bible. It says, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees. And so you could get somebody coming up to you asking you to sign something and say, hey, do you believe in the Bible? And you say, yes. And they say, well, look at what the Bible says. Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees. Mm-hmm. And this one in some ways is even more ridiculous than the, the one. Now, <laughs> I always feel like I have to give this caveat. There are really good biblical arguments for why Christians should care about our world and God's creation. Yeah. This is just not one of them. Trees so, are very important in the Bible. They're very important. They're some of the main characters at the beginning and the end. You look like you're being dismissive, but I know you're kind of serious. No, I'm serious. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> you're, you're like, trees are very important. No, they really are. No, well, people, don't, people don't know. It's like, <laughs> like I, I love like plant life and trees yeah. and stuff. So like I, I have books on, on California, the native plant life of California. And yeah. in my backyard, I only have native California plants. And I know all about them. So so it's like trees are important theologically and to me personally, but it's like, if you know me, you don't expect this face to be like, yeah, I love trees, man. I just love trees. Citruses are incredible. It's true. Mm -hmm. When I told Isaac that I bought a, a nectarine tree for my backyard, Mm -hmm. you like waxed poetic about how good a tree ripened nectarine is for like five minutes. Most people, (laughs) those nectarines you're buying at the store, they're not tree ripened. And it makes a world of difference. You're never going to get a fruit tree like it was in the Garden of Eden. But you're a little bit closer when you get a tree ripened nectarine than That's what true. you get in the store. You go, I could see why Eve. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. So trees, important. Creation matters to God. Having said that. This verse does not mean this. And this is the most obvious example of this because that's not even the whole verse. Well, wasn't... Didn't you initially notice this from like some massive organization? It was their slogan. Yeah, it was. It, I, uh, I don't remember which one, so I don't want to say. Yeah, on, on the but internet. it was some like international but body, like a, <laughs> a very big environmental organization. It, I don't know if it was their slogan, but they like had it on T-shirts or uh-huh. something. And then I was just like, I'm sure that's out of context. But then here's what's so funny about it. That's Roman Revelation seven three a. That's not even the whole verse. Click the next slide, Kevin. This is the whole verse. Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until, until 
That's all you need to know. Then we're going to be mean to the trees. Until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And this is in the context. Throw it's rocks in, at the sea. Dude, it's brutal. This is, it's in apocalyptic literature. Um, and it's like God in uh, the voice that's speaking. Actually, it's, yeah, it's um, one of the angels. He's, it, he's literally talking. I pulled it up just so I could see it. It's, uh, he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea saying, don't do it yet. Wait a little bit. And here's the thing. That verse isn't about God wanting to harm creation no. either. So even, even the counter to it, it just shows that it's a ridiculous verse to yeah. use for that, but it doesn't mean that either. That This is in the middle of apocalyptic literature. This is arguably the hardest part of the entire Bible yeah. to interpret. So but as, as horrible of an example, like how could anyone do this? And depending upon how much time we get stuff we get through, there are worse <laughs> Christians who have been Christians their whole life do this with Bible verses and they, it's just because they like the way they sound. Yeah. And then what happens is they get enough momentum and sort of evangelical culture. And it's just accepted that that's like the meaning of what that means. And if you just read it a little bit, you're like, Oh man, it's this not is what this. it means. Yeah. And it's so it's, it's one of those things that, um, we just gotta, we gotta be a little better than that. Um, okay. Let's pull up the next one. Oh, hey, Winfield Weaver came to your defense, Kevin. I'm assuming that's who that is. I'm just guessing based on Tome. Tome. I had several he coming had a lot to of my protection. Come up to, their, to his defense. Here. That's good. That's good for you, Kevin. You feel better? I ain't no. going to say No. <laughs> okay. You guys are probably, everybody who's watching, immediately noticed that there's a giant marijuana plant on this image. Um it's Genesis 1:29 that's being invoked. Um, I'm having a hard time reading it off the screen, so I'm just going to pull it up over here so I can read it. Um, it might not even be the same translation as what you guys are seeing. But famous verse, chapter 1 of the Bible, what Isaac's dissertation is on. So you're very fit to comment on this. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. So the argument that the picture is making is, he said every plant. So clearly yeah. we can smoke weed. Yeah. What do you say to that, Pastor? Well, they they, they yeah. got us. They they <laughs> they defeated us, man. No, like do you, speaking of I just talked about how I have books about yeah. about California native plants. There's whole books about all the poisonous things that yeah. are in the like just because something is all natural and growing in your state doesn't mean it's good for you to eat. If you think that, it's like your front lawn grows mushrooms. It's not a good idea to eat those mushrooms, man. There's, there's, um, there's, it's funny because there's actually so many things where it's like, it's painfully obvious that this is natural, produced by nature. Right. But it would kill you. There's frogs, man, that you've touched that are poisonous in Australia. I think we joked yeah. around last night. There's all kinds of things that are all natural in creation that will kill you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's it's so it's like number layer number one. The logic of that argument makes absolutely no sense. Yeah, You're like just because God made it and said God tells Adam you can have all of the plants. Adam is still smart enough to go. Yeah, but I'm not going to put that spiky one in my mouth because yes. that will probably hurt. Um, and so so it's it, the logic of it falls apart. But then there's the the next layer which goes is this verse about like a free pass to do whatever you want with anything natural. And yeah. it's, it's clearly not that either. 
Um, throw up the next one, Kevin, because the next one is using the same exact verse for a different argument, which is interesting. It's kind of a two in one. Same verse that we just read, and it says, God created us to be vegan. The Garden of Eden was vegan. Now, this is one. I had never heard that argument for Genesis 129 as a reason why we should smoke weed, but I have heard it used um, to promote mm. veganism before. Um, I actually had a teacher in college who was a Christian who was vegan, um, and this was basically his argument was mm. Eden was vegan. And so there's a couple of ways to unpack this. What's the first thing you would do with that? I'm going to say <laughs> grace covers a multitude <laughs> of sins, man. You may be right. You may be right, but have you smelled bacon? Yeah, so there's... It, there may be a good argument to say that, not there may be, they were eating vegan in Eden before the fall. Almost certainly. Yeah, but here, so, so there's something that in our in our state it's it's called a monkey face prickleback eelfish, okay? Mm. And they live that's on a the product coast. of the fall. Yeah, and and they live in the cracks in the ocean on our coast, and they you can go out and catch them on low tides. Um, you stick and poke to get those, right? Yeah, you poke pull to get these things. Now, stick and poke is a kind they, of tattoo. They they um they only eat seaweed. They're vegetarians, okay? Mm. They're vegetarian. They only eat seaweeds. But if you present them with a nice piece of fresh squid. They're what we call in and out vegetarians. Oh uh, yeah. An in and out vegetarian is like you're always a vegetarian till you go drive by drive yeah. through in and out and you smell it. <laughs> so even the even the the prickleback. Designed by God to eat. Designed seaweed. by God. He only eats seaweed, but man. Yeah. You, you smell something cooking, you might change your mind. Yeah, and I've eaten one of those eel fish with you before. They're good. All I remember is the amount of work involved to get its skin off. It's a lot of work. Brutal. Oh, so. what do you got? What was that, Kevin? I looked away too soon. Is that an eel fish? That's not one of those. That is one. That is? Yeah, that's one. That's a big boy then. Wow. So, okay. Um, an argument could be made that yes. all they were eating was vegetables and fruit in the garden. For sure. Yeah. They don't get the other stuff till Noah. Right. But that's something that's absolutely crystal clear if you just read again the context this is a library so at this point which is not the point you live at that was what god told them to eat but it's explicit in noah in noah's story that now you can eat animals um and not only that but by the time you get to the new testament you have i mean very dramatically peter has a vision in the book of acts that says all food is clean eat whatever you want but even beyond that um i mean jesus is eating meat in the gospels the sinless god man it's fish. Yeah, he resurrects and cooks some fish. Yeah. So, you know, maybe you have an interesting abstract argument about like, hey, in new creation, will it be like Eden and there people yeah. won't be eating animals? Maybe. And there's all kinds of ethical, I mean, just let's keep this straight. The the way we're, we treat animals Definitely. in big, like big farming is not, it's not good. There's yeah. all kinds of ethical, good moral arguments to make on how you should, what you should consume, how it's farmed, where is it coming from? Like those, those are good discussions to have, but pulling again, that Bible verse as a gotcha is, is just not yeah. going to cut it. Cause, cause if we wanted to, we would go, we would jump straight over to, where is it in, in like Genesis nine or whenever after the flood, you're <laughs> going to have, that's good. Ed and Dina, but weeds are actually, weed is actually a part of the fall. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's true. I like that. She, uh, she she put weeds in quote. Yeah, that's true. That's, that's that. good. That's a good. <laughs> that's fair. 
Um, Wendy Stroh says, we have dominion over all the animals. We can eat them if we want to. Um, and I, I agree with that. Um, but I, but at, to Isaac's point, part of having dominion over animals is you treat them well. So I've heard very, very, again. Yeah, and this the, the, the theological argument for that is when you hear, and we talked about this in one of our sermons recently, when you hear the word dominion or subdue or yeah. to rule, it can have a negative connotation because history is filled with people who have dominion and exercise it in an evil way. There's dictators and tyrants, but the human as an image bearer is supposed to rule and have dominion in a way that reflects what the God of Genesis one was doing up until that point. And what is unique about the God of Genesis one is that he creates environments for citizens or occupants to later occupy and flourish in. And every day it's good, 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 good. So, whether it's a tree or an animal, we should be creating goodness for the flourishing of us all. Now, that I don't believe that that eliminates meat eating, but right. it, it should have a critique on how we raise animals yeah. and treat them in, in an ethical and, and fair way. And all the way down to how you treat your pets. So I have heard, again, we're making the same point Melissa talked about earlier. I've heard really brilliant professors. I had a vegan professor in seminary who made a really, really... Actually, he was vegetarian because he had no ethical problem with eating eggs or drinking milk or other. But he did have an ethical argument against killing animals to eat them based on stewardship and dominion. Mm -hmm. it, wasn't it wasn't a biblical argument. It was like a logical, philosophical uh -huh. argument. I still don't agree, but it's, it's another one of those examples of really smart people come to that conclusion. The point we're making is Genesis 1.29 doesn't teach that and doesn't prove that. Yeah. Um, so it's just not a great use of that verse. All right, the next one. Um, oh wait, hold on. We got a we got some we got a couple of questions. Um, I think that yeah. Here we go. We'll do Jacobs first. What about when it's presented as the creation ideal specifically? Yes. Yeah, so that's the best possible argument sure. you can make is that the ideal that's established in Genesis is something we should aspire to. Um, maybe, um, and I say maybe because in Scripture we're not told to try and replicate Edenic like behavior. We're not right. walking around naked. Yeah. Um, and again, the fact that the resurrected Jesus in a glorified resurrected body is eating fish and not demonstrating the Edenic ideal. Yeah. It tells me that that's look, you have all these commands in scriptures and nowhere is that an emphasis in no. the entirety of the new Testament. In fact, the trajectory is the other way by allowing foods, which were previously unclean to become to clean. be clean and so you have you have the one who the new testament says is the exact imprint and representation of god and he doesn't just eat yeah animals, so if you want to so. if you want to change the way you eat for these reasons for or for that reason great but it's it's i don't think you can make a strong biblical argument for yeah, that absolutely now let's jump, let's jump into the next one. I had one version of this meme and isaac out of sensitivity to the fact that some of the some kids watch this um had me had me switch it out for a Winnie the Pooh themed one. Wendy Stroh's going vegan. We did it, you guys. Wendy, this is actually this whole thing has been a planned intervention to get you to go vegan. Yeah. So, but just drive by in and out. You change your yeah, mind. Yeah, change real your quick. mind for sure. Yeah. I, I pr again, just to be clear, I do not. Neither of us think we both eat meat. Neither of us think that um, there's anything wrong with eating meat. Um, but. The main point is Genesis one twenty nine is not teaching you that you shouldn't eat meat. Okay, so here's here's Winnie the Pooh reading the Bible. It says, Bible, and then Lot's daughters got him drunk and laid with him. And then Winnie the Pooh's reacting like, 
Wait, yeah. what? Now, um, just to kind of, we'll, we'll be careful with language and stuff because we don't know the ages of everyone who's watching, but um, this story is in the Bible and there is there are a lot of different memes about it. Most of them are not appropriate to show on here, but they're basically going, oh, you like the Bible? You think the Bible is a really great book about righteousness and stuff? Yeah. Well, here's a story about two girls who want to have children and there's no men around so they get their father drunk and become pregnant by him mm -hmm. that's in the bible what up and yeah. it's presented like a trump card that christianity's whack yeah and what the, the two things you have to understand and this is very important there's prescriptive language and descriptive language in the bible huge descriptive language describes what actually occurred in history prescriptive language is telling you how you ought to behave a big portion of the bible is just descriptive so whenever you read horrible stuff in the Bible, the majority of the time, it's that's history. And yeah. guess what? History is Rough. filled with horrible stuff. We, we talked about this before we went live, but we, we were agreeing that a huge percentage of Bible misunderstandings stem from not getting this. Yeah. So it, it's, you know, something like upwards of 70% of, of like gotcha Bible verse memes are just mm -hmm. quoting something that's descriptive, not prescriptive. And again, Isaac said that quick. So just to reiterate, descriptive text describes something that happened and prescriptive text prescribe, meaning yep. they tell you that you should do likewise. And man, if we were to just show you like by number of pages, how much of the Bible is descriptive and how yep. much is prescriptive, overwhelmingly more volume of the Bible is just descriptive. It's just telling you history. So did that happen with Lot and his daughters? Yes, absolutely. That's a story. And not only is it just descriptive, but it's actually a bad thing. Yeah, and if you keep reading, even in the descriptive stories that are not prescriptive, the authors will shape those stories in a way to let you know this is bad. Yeah. God does not approve of this. This is really, really bad. Yeah, and in this case, the offspring of that that inappropriate relationship um, is Moab and Ammon. Yeah, two boys who give rise to the nations, the Ammonites and the Moabites, yeah. who become arch rivals and cause gigantic problems for Israel generations later. Yeah, and in fact, the way you know they want you to look down upon this is in the Torah a Moabite, a child of a Moabite could not go into the the temple for up to 10 generations, which makes the book of Ruth a really cool book because yeah. it says, this is wrong, this is whack, but somehow God's grace can still be working yeah, in the midst of something. you can still get a Moabite in. And, the, and again, talking about cultural distance, if we, we read that story and go, wow, this is whack, and then it goes, and, and they had sons and their names were Moab and Ammon. Mm -hmm. And we go, okay, cool, that's the kids' names. If you are an Israelite reading that story and oh, you get to that their this sons are Moab and Ammon oh man this is bad these are the bad guys so very clear um Melissa Seymour says she came across that story as an eighth grader and it freaked her out um yeah and this is why you don't uh, you don't especially with young people don't just hand them a bible hand them a bible and say read whatever because there's there's stuff in there that's like it's not you know, what, and that's why we preface that it's like we don't we don't want to be explicit because the Bible has some stuff that is you need to be a, a mature yeah. reader or have someone alongside of you walking you through that. And the Pharisaic Jews who who treated the Old Testament with the utmost respect had sections of the Old Testament that 
were like age restricted that like you yeah, don't they didn't read. let anyone just read the song of solomon yeah or like even remember isn't it like the vision in the throne of vision in ezekiel that you couldn't read Maybe. until you were an adult or something and that's like it's not even inappropriate it's just the intensity of the magic that's right of God. there's a weightiness to that that's that's just not there for a younger audience so that's just a classic example of um the just be and this is just a blanket truth for you to know when you come across a meme just because something whack or negative or gross or evil is in the bible does not mean the bible is bad the bible is telling you the truth about humans you okay if this was a Bible, the fact that you have a Bible with Genesis through Revelation is an immense and incredible blessing and gift that the vast majority of people in human history didn't have. They didn't have that. Yeah. When you heard the Bible, it was in synagogue and someone read it. And if it didn't make sense, you talked about it with the people afterwards. Right. It wasn't just like, you know, as, as, as Melissa in the chat said, oh, I'm in eighth grade. Let's see what this part of the Bible says. Oh my gosh. And you're by yourself in your yeah. room left to wonder. And after being shocked by it, it just didn't take place like that. Scripture reading was a communal, primarily out loud activity that you did together. Um, and I'm happy that we have Bibles for yeah. individual study, but we're missing the other, other components. And at the very least, it should be done in community in the sense of having people in your life who you can go to and be like, what is going on with this story? The story yeah. is whack. Um, so, yeah, that's it's just a great example that man. There's stuff in the Bible that's horrific. That's not the worst one, dude. There are way worse stories than that in terms of just things that are like terrible and brutal. Yeah, way, and, way, um, way worse. And so it's just it's because the Bible is a true book, and if you're going to tell the truth about what people are like, there's going to be a lot of that in there. Okay, so this next one. Oh wait, Kevin's about to paste something. Are you what you pasting, Kevin? Oh, never mind. He's on. He's back on it. Um, all right, next one. This is not actually an example that comes from opponents of Christianity. This is one that Christians misuse. Um, the verse says, it's a quote of third John verse two. Third John's just one chapter. That's why it just says the verse number. I want you to be prosperous and healthy. Um, God's promise to you, Kevin. God's promise to you. I it's want to you. you to be prosperous and healthy. Um, now this is a mainstay verse in the prosperity gospel yeah. movement. Um, and, and it's quoted like that sometimes, which is a, we got whole episodes on that in the prequels. That's true. Yeah. There's a, there's go back and watch that in our, we, in fact, one of the kind of big proponents of using that verse, um, is Kenneth Copeland, who we've talked about at length mm -hmm. in our false doctrines series. Yeah. Um, so highly recommend that if you're interested in chasing this down a little bit more, but, um, I want you to be rich and prosper is not God's promise to you in that verse at all. Um, so I'll, I'll read what the verse is. Um, it always gets quoted in um, the King James Version. So I'll read it in the King James. It says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. Now that's, that is what King James Version says. And so because it says, I wish that you prosper as your soul prospers, the way it gets argued by, in that realm of theology is, well, okay, the point is, as you prosper spiritually, you will prosper materially. Mm -hmm. I want you to be well and prosper as your soul prospers. So the whole I like idea, it. So it sounds pretty great. Um, but here's the deal. That's not a great translation of the verse. Um, and in context, it's not at all what it means. Now, in ESV, this is what that verse says. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Now, that already just by itself sounds different. 
Um, but then if you, as we've talked about, zoom out a little bit, yeah. see what's happening here. This is a letter from an individual to an individual. Verse one says, the elder, who's John, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. So it's not God's promise to you. It's John's letter to Gaius, first of all. Mm -hmm. And then if you continue reading, verse three says, for I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. So really briefly, putting all of it together, what that verse is saying is it's an it's a introductory statement in a letter. It's a well wish. It's me at the beginning of an email saying, hope everything's going good. That's what John's doing. Yep. He's not making a theological promise. And he already, or he in the very next verse is going to say that, the guy, that Gaius's soul is doing well. So it's a well wish. He's saying, hey, just as you're prospering yep. spiritually, I hope that you're in good health as he well. Because could be like, that's, that's the promise for me. But then what about where you could take, where God says, take Paul, for I must show him all the things which he must suffer for my name's sake. Yeah. You like, want put that, that one for promise. you? Take that promise, Kevin. Yeah, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Oh, I guessed wrong which one he was going to play. Take, and, take that, man. So we could talk about it for a lot, a lot longer, but it's just an example how even within Christianity, you, you take a verse, rip it out of context, make it say what you want it to say and then build an entire doctrine on it. That that's frankly not at all biblical. Yeah. All right. You want to keep going? Yeah. We, we got a few minutes. Let's, oh let's, man, we're almost out of time. Let's try to get at least these last two. Let's, let's crush, crush some uh, people's favorite Bible verses. Oh boy. Okay. Unicorns, dragons, beasts with seven heads, talking donkey, talking plants, quote, literal word of God. So that just listed a whole bunch of stuff that's in the Bible. And then said, the literal word of God has all these but things. I mean, let me just take a step back because Christians do this too. Like, I take the Bible literally. Right. And and people will ask you if they're, like, your neighbor may ask you, well, are you one of those Christians that take the Bible literally? Look, every single person in everyday conversation, in every book you read, in every movie you watch, your brain is doing, like, complex computations and, and equations to to distinguish between things that are taken literal and like metaphoric or allegorical and it's not just no one there's not a single person on the planet maybe there is that just i believe all the bible literally, literally right because the bible uses metaphor and similes and allegories and and typology and archetypical patterns yeah. all of that stuff and again we all do it all day Every, if i say what time does the sun rise tomorrow you don't go Bro, the sun doesn't, sun rise. doesn't rise. The earth rotates and the sun yeah. comes into view. Yeah. So you know what I mean. And what I said isn't false. Mm -hmm. It's idiomatic language. And so um, that list of things in that meme, there's a different explanation for each Every one, of, one them. of those. But the point is, none of those are, I shouldn't say none of them without looking at them again, but they're not meant to just be taken literally. Yeah. A and I can just tell you right off the bat, there is no literal beast with seven heads, right? Um, no. There, and, and dragons, et cetera, all that stuff. So anyway, all that just to say, it's one of those things. It's, it's, a it's just nonsense. It's nonsense. nonsense. Every single person reads the Bible. It depends on which portions do you interpret as, as most literal, literal and concrete or how, much de what, what do, how many degrees of kind of abstraction or metaphor are you, you allowing upon the text. So it's just nonsense. 
All right, so with, with two minutes left, Isaac, should Lightning we around. look at the next one, this one, or should we talk about Jeremiah 29, 11? Well, let, let's do the Jeremiah 29, 11 one just because... I don't um, have a meme for it, but we can pull it up. That's a meme we'll have to hit in a Some different. of you know this because we've talked about this at South Valley Community Church. Uh, you probably did it on a, a lo- one of those early prequel Theology Thursdays, but um, it's worth showing because in fairness... We talked about how the atheist takes one Bible verse and tries to punk the Christian with it. And in fairness, we are using a very similar hermeneutical approach with some of our favorite Bible verses. Totally. So So Kevin's going to throw it up on the screen. The verse is... But I'll read it in the meantime. Um, It's very well known. And um, give yourself grace if this is your life verse or if you love this verse. If it's tattooed Um, on your arm, forgive us. Um... (laughs) It says, oh, here we go. Kevin's got it. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Um, That's a beautiful verse. Um, And it says, hey, things might be rough right now, but I've got a good plan for you. The plan is for your welfare. It's going to turn around, young buddy. Everything's all good. Just you just keep hanging in there. Now, this is a great example of if you understand what's going on in the section you're reading. You're reading a book of prophecy written to Israelites who are in exile in Babylon. Mm-hmm. Now, what what is the key bad news side of this verse? Well, Jeremiah tells these people, God's going to turn it around for you. But he's speaking to Israel as a whole and not necessarily Israel in the present tense because the Israelite culture is not a hyper-individualistic culture like right. we are. So God is saying... At some point in the future, Israel, who is my firstborn son, that's the the individual language is used for the corporate whole. uh, I'm going to bring you back out of exile. Now, here's the thing. They're going to be in exile for roughly 70 years. So some of those people who are hearing that verse. Most of those people. Most of those people are going to die in exile. What is plans for prospering and good welfare look for you? Well, the truth is you're going to die in exile. For some people, you will never see the promised land. But God's not done with Israel. But God's not done with Israel. And if you know the the whole context of that section, this message Jeremiah is delivering is in opposition to the good news false prophets. Yes. Because there are prophets telling Israel in exile, hey, don't even unpack your bags because God's rescuing us soon, like tomorrow. So have your shoes on, be ready to go. God's going to bring us out. And this is part of Jeremiah's response saying, no, 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 settle in build houses, have families here, get settled because it's going to be a while. But the good news is I do have good plans for you to bring you out of exile eventually. Yeah. And here's the good news of uh, of this. God has the big picture on lockdown. Mm -hmm. So even if I die, I know that my people, my children's children's children, will be delivered by God um, because God cares for Israel type type of thing. So um, in one sense, it could be like bad news because like you may die in exile, but actually if you care about the big picture, it's really good news because who wants to just, well, let, let, let me save my skin. Yeah. But then all these, there's all this countless suffering in the, in the big picture where God yeah. is actually saying no. And, and for the Christian, the ultimate thing is even if I die, I ultimately will prosper. Because 
I've been forgiven of my sin and I will stand before him on judgment day and he will raise me up and I will live with him forever. So and that's I will actually, ultimately prosper. And that's a faithful way to apply this verse to yourself if you understand the typology and stuff that you talked yeah. about before. Yeah. Because what is return from exile? It is literally, historically, Israel leaving Babylon and going back to the promised land. But it is an, it is an image of what God is going to do for all of humanity yeah. in Jesus. So the promise to prosper Israel is actually a shadow of God's promise to deliver everyone from the ultimate exile. Mm-hmm. But same, the, and the beautiful thing is the mess, the application is the same. It doesn't mean, Hey, whatever hard things going, God's going to deliver you tomorrow and you're going to be rich and everything's going to be fine. You may suffer your whole life and die young, but the promise is God's plan for you is good. Yeah. Um, and when you understand that you're more likely to maintain your faith, because if you believe the false prophets in Jeremiah's day and you weren't delivered on year one, well then God has abandoned us yeah. and he doesn't love us. Um, rather than saying, no, even if I die in exile, God still loves me and he will deliver my people. Yeah. And, and, the, and the reason that's so important is because we are really committed to the idea that man under the, uh, the correct understanding of the verse is always better than the wrong one. Um, mm-hmm. even if it doesn't sound as happy immediately, like the truth is always better than yeah, the false. Absolutely. And I think that's the case in this one. It's like so many of you guys have gone through or are currently going through something really hard. And the promise of God is not necessarily that it's going to get easier soon, but there is a yeah. promise that if you entrust yourself to Jesus, you will be delivered. You yeah. will be safe. God's History is filled with Christian martyrs. History is filled with people who died for their faith in Jesus their life didn't turn around, you know, for the good next week type of thing. Yeah. Next week is, what are we doing next week? Oh my gosh, I probably should have written that down. Hold on. I've been thinking about all of them too much. I believe that next week is, uh, is the Bible. Oh yeah, it's we're, next week we're going to look at the weird laws. So next week's going to be like, how come Christians believe they should follow some of the Bible, but they still eat shrimp and bacon and stuff? Yeah. So if you have questions about whether it's okay to have tattoos or eat shrimp and why there are all these crazy laws in the Old Testament and why Christians aren't following them, that's what we're going to hit next week. It's going to be a good week. All right. See you guys next Thursday. Thanks for being here. <laughs>